0: this uh, psalm we're coming from today is a psalm of David. And uh, if we look at the history, and this psalm is a confirmation of a relationship that he has with the Lord, but it teaches us some very general and common things about God's grace in the way he's created us. And um, as we look at this psalm today, I, I want us to, in continuing our mercy series to hopefully experience the same mercy and grace David received as this psalm ministers to him in his alienation and and his being chased after somebody who wants to, possibly chased after somebody who wants to do him harm. Psalm 139. I got another opportunity um, to, second time, seeing the movie Crash um, last Monday with a group of you. And um, I, I would say Crash is a uh, over-the-top but well-done, kind of dramatic but a good, um, kind of a really intense movie about racial tension in Los Angeles. It was tense because it was an exaggerated picture of the real-life failure to know and see people for what and who they are. It was a movie about the failure of depending on stereotypes to maneuver through relationships. It was about us. It was about real life breaking under the pressure and pain of being misunderstood or treated unfairly. It described the age-old tension between people from different ethnic groups crashing in the impossibility of being fair and and understanding each other being known and understood and loved for who you are after the movie movie marty um, said this he said without the comic relief it would have been too much to handle in its intensity well in real life without god's merciful relief the call to live together as different with different people would be too much for us to handle. The challenges our personality, our ethnicity, in the church and in particular at local churches, we have come up with all kind of fancy ways to describe this crash of culture and race and ethnicity. We call it racial churches or or multi-ethnic or multicultural or racially and ethnically diverse churches or at Christ Central, we've come up with this fancy term called eclectic community. But it's all a crash. This morning for your crashes, the scripture gives you some upfront padding some relief, some mercy from from God for your soul in in living in what can be a cruel and crude diversity of people on earth. I want you to know as the psalm gives us the mercy of God's glance. A glance from God on you and for you that confirms and affirms everything about you and, and we are invited to see ourselves and others the right way the way he sees them. We see here that we are seen as divine originals, that we are who we are and how we are because God has created and designed us in our lives, which means each of us has has been given and created in us a God-given dignity, a value or a worth because we've been made by the Heavenly Father. Look with me at verse 13 once again. I want you to notice the details of of being created by God, the the care, the words that describe the care of the craft, the intensity that God took in making who you are. You and I and everyone else are are God's artwork. The the intimacy of the thing is epitomized by the fact that the Lord knit us. He he used his hands and, and wove us together. The complexity of your humanity was not done by a machine in a factory. But handmade, if you will, by an involved and purposeful creator. And with that you have been given a God uh, you you have a God given dignity among the creations that are that are all beautiful. You and I as human beings are the special handmaids. Human beings are not prints. Reproductions, they have the value and dignity of being an original on and in a skin canvas. You are a three-dimensional sculpture of the Creator Lord. And He's left His fingerprints in the clay. And as a human, regardless of how or where you are, you bear that irremovable, irrevocable, irreversible fingerprint of God that says you're made in His image and likeness, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And what this means is that we should handle ourselves and each other with the care and dignity that we would give any rare or original or invaluable or replaceable piece of artwork. It means that we take care how we talk to each other, that we are careful not to damage the heart. It means that we look at each other with a wonder and respect for the life that we are and for the God who has created us. It means like any good piece of art, people are worthy to be seen and even showcased. that that you and I and others are, are worth taking time to notice and be known and be appreciated. Each person is so amazingly a reflection of the beauty and purpose of God that they warrant and deserve to be heard and tell their story. He calls us like an art gallery or a concert to watch and listen and show and share. But we see along with this created dignity, we have a God-given ethnicity. Now when we see how God is woven us together and he, and he, 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 he saw our unformed body and, and he designed how we would be in the womb as we've read. What's obvious and simple, I guess, to surmise here is that, is that God has painted you the color that you are. What isn't obvious for many of us is that there is no fault or diversion from some sort of hallmark in making and developing your ethnicity. It was and is wonderful how you came out ethnically. You are not black because you are not white. Or you're, or, or you're not white because God ran out of colors. Or darker because, remember when you were a kid, the stuff you'd say? Or darker because the oven was on too high. Or, or lighter because he forgot to cook you. Simple childhood thoughts that are still driving the way we see each other. Your hue or shade is not the result of some right going wrong or too long or too short. It has no inferior property to it whatsoever. It is a mark of a superior nature, if you will. Not superior in the sense that we're superior to each other in its differences, but superior in the sense that is a direct and purposeful result of God's special creation of human beings. But race or hue is not all that is celebrated here. It is ethnicity itself. It's 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 a cultural spiral. It's, it's the cultural catchings, if you will, of being born in a certain place with a certain descent and a certain tribe or a certain family with a certain historical context. Look with me, if you will, at, at verse 16. It says, your eyes saw my unformed body. Then he says this, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, in part, we see a reflection on this thought. And if we jump forward, and you don't have this, so I'm going to read it to you in Acts. And Paul is talking to the philosoph- Greek philosophers of his day about uh, how, who, who is God and, and how we can look at each other and, and kind of figure out, you know, there is a created God, there's a personal God. And he says this to the philosophers, from one man, He made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and He, God, determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Now, what is he saying? He's saying that, 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 that where you're, you're, you're descent, descended from and, and what country you were born in and, and, and what kind of family you had and how much money y'all had or how much money you didn't have and, and what you were exposed to, how you came out ethnically and culturally was not a mistake. It was the direct design of God. God decided that we not all be from the same continent and therefore of the same ethnicity and therefore of the same culture for his glory. For the whole of his artistic expression and purposes, he has, in his sovereignty that is, he has ordained for you to grow up in the United States and for some of you to grow up overseas and for your parents to be from here. I describe it as this anthropological Rubik's cube. And God just kind of takes it and like you're the face of the community. Mixes it up, whoop, and that's who you are. And 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 you might be black, but you might not be rich. And you might be white, but you might be poor. And and so you you might be this and you might be that. And and so certain groups you fit in and certain groups you don't fit in. And when we look at that cube, it's not, we aren't to say, what what a messed up thing. Let's just turn it all back and, and make it right. No, God mixed it up and mixed you and wove you together like that so he can look at it and say, man, This is beautiful. And the contrast, ironically, declare a unifying fact. Lord, you are awesome. You are filled with beauty and coloring and seasoning and ethnicity and culture is your shared possession. And we thank you for it. We thank you that on different continents and I want to say even different churches, different musics going on. People are grooving in different ways. And if they're worshiping the same God, God is like, he hears all that thing. And for him, for his glory, it's a unifying harmonic symphony of a creation that he has put on earth. It is this created wonder that calls you and I to look in the mirror and at others and not see and say immediately that something is wrong, but thank God and praise him for you and me and us to say, you know, I'm happy to be nappy because you were pleased to make me that way. And beyond that, we are called to celebrate with each person as we celebrate our own ethnicity or race or culture for the glory of God. Here's where I believe the scripture teaches something that I've heard in some church circles. And that is, let's just be colorblind. But the scripture here, in describing someone being uniquely made and woven, again, it's not a mistake that we're different. I believe in celebrating and even highlighting the distinctives. Now get me, not dividing over them, but being united in seeing and celebrating God for the created diversity. Co- being colorblind, I don't really see race. I don't really see color. You lie. You, you see it. You say it. You, you're fooling yourself. See, c- being colorblind is a robbery of the artist and takes from the person. Inevitably, when we can't bear to live in the wonderful tension of being different, we default to being colorblind. When we can't handle the gravity that comes with being our ethnic, being who we are ethnically, we default to being colorblind. The problem is this. The gravity and weight and even tensions and the differences is not yours, but it's his for his glory. How dare we make a colorful world that we have not created our color or our culture or worse, come in and say, hey, we just colorblind. Scripture is calling us to see each person in race as an ethnic group. Again, not as a diversion or perversion of an ethnic group. Have you ever thought about this? This was interesting. Uh we we Georgia and I began to explore this idea. It it, it kind of hit my mind. I I said, you know, white people have an ethnic group or or they are in an ethnic group or race. Have you ever thought about right white being ethnic? some of you from Ireland and England and Eastern European and Western European countries and, and some of you from Northern Italy and you look like you're from Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> praise the Lord. I don't know how he did it, but praise the Lord. Sometimes we forget that, that, that whoever we are, we have some sort of ethnic identity. White is a color. You know, because I think what happens is you begin to make, in our culture, especially in the South here, white is the standard, and the reason we have other colors is their diversion from the standard. Um, We were at uh, Scott Welton's uh, parents' mountain house for the men's retreat, and there was some art on the wall, you know, probably antebellum era kind of stuff, people sitting out dressed up with a picnic, with a dining room table in the lawn, um, you know, just sitting around, you know, with the, that, that kind of thing and, and kids running around and, you know, all green. I'm like, you know what? That's some good white Southern antebellum art. And Georgia was like, you know, I never would have thought of it like that. I would have just said, that's some good art. But it's amazing when you look at anything with color. That's African American art, or that's uh, uh, Hispanic art, or that's Asian art, or whatever. And, and why can't it be that that's good white art? You no, know, I think what we've done is we've lost the beauty and diversity. I think in this culture, in particular in southern culture, the beauty and diversity of our white brothers and sisters, and many of them have given it up to secure being the standard dominant ethnic group in this country. That you need to celebrate because it's all right being white. You know, I think especially since some of the civil rights movement stuff is good, and I would say 99%, but then there's 1% guilt thing that white, I'm going to call them liberal white people brought, and they just kind of the whipping boy for everybody. You know, there comes a point when your ethnic group can't be the whipping boy or girl for everything going wrong, and there comes a point where your ethnic group needs to be celebrated like the others. God is creating a for a world in which no ethnicity is a mistake or amalgamation or exaltation, but a special design and nuance of the Lord. Now, I would love to end it by saying, isn't that beautiful? Let's go home. <laughs> but the world in which we live has become ugly and painful. The differences and nuances and mosaic beauty have ironically become the fuel for the fire of hate. In utter disdain and ignorance of the thoughtful design and artistry, and worse, the, the disdain and ignorance of the of God who made us the designer and artist, people have sought to marginalize and snuff out and assimilate what God has created and called beautiful. And it's being done to and by each one of us because of sin. Now we have become damaged originals with a damaged dignity. Now, let me explain this to you. The psalmist writes this psalm as less of a personal reflection of wisdom. You know, David's just sitting around one day and thought, hey, I got a good idea. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, it, it, it's, it's less of a, I'm pretty wise, I'm going to come up with these words. It's more of a prophetic. And, and what that means, it's, a, it's more of a voice of God declaring something to and about David for David's own good, even though it's coming through his pen. So God's kind of talking and he's hearing, and he's writing scripture and he's writing it and then he himself would look and sing and reflect it and benefit from what God is saying. See, this psalm is God's address to the psalmist himself who lives in doubt and fear of who and how he has been made. Someone with damaged dignity. Now the thoughts are so removed from the psalmist that he says here in, 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 that that that. In verse 6, such knowledge of how you see me and know me is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to attain. The thoughts are so removed from the psalmist. He answers what God has said about him in verse 23. He says, what? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way understanding. In other words, let these words of the psalm, let your glance help me because I am prone in my damaged view of you and myself and how others treat me and see you prone to thinking. And believe wrongly, even about myself. And join with the psalmist's admitted distance from the thoughts of God and leanings to possibly get it wrong is this imprecatory part of the psalm. No, precatory means to speak judgment and condemnation against something or someone in the name of the Lord. As if God is saying it. And he speaks against what he describes as wicked and bloodthirsty men or people. Look with me at verse 19. He says, if only you would slay the wicked, O God, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do not I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Let me break this down a little bit. They are bloodthirsty. They're murderers. They're destroyers. They're harming. They're damaging to all that Psalm 139 is confirming. The wicked want to burn and tear the canvas. In their hatred, they not only hate the person and their design, the psalmist says they hate you. They abhor you. They show disdain for you, Lord. You, the one who has made and purposed them in the way he has, they say this art, David in this particular point, or the people you have made, this art is trash. They're bloodthirsty. They drink blood. They live off damage. I would, it, the closest illustration I have is, is they're vampires. What? What do vampires do? They either kill you, make a slave to them, make you a slave to them, or make you one of them. It depends on your usefulness. They're bloodthirsty. In saying they misuse the name of God. What's he saying here? He's saying that they act as if their thoughts and actions about humanity, and in particular David the human, are higher or equal to God's. That somewhere along the line they have self-determined the basis of human worth. They believe they, like God, stand in a place of image-giver and taker, if need be. What are we seeing here in part? It's the profile of a racist it's a profile of someone cre- against God's created race called humanity. And each one of us have in our hearts, words, and actions looked at others and in the mirror in distance from God's revealed truth and hated. Hating and damaging what Psalm 139 has declared so magnificently. It's Looking in the mirror after looking at a magazine cover or someone else and hating that fearful and wonderful creation you are. And when you hate that, you hate the maker. It's to listen to and believe the thoughts and actions of those around you who are not God, who act or declare themselves as better or more beautiful or competent, allowing God's own thoughts and views of you to be overtaken and destroyed and shaped by somebody else. It's to be more embarrassed by your ethnicity than excited by what God has said about you. It's looking at another or another ethnic group believing that if they could be woven as you are, they would just be a little better. It's crossing the line in ministry, especially mercy ministry, when the goal is making them more culturally and ethnically like you. When all you're doing is giving them your gods and your idols. You know, it's amazing when people do mercy ministry. I mean... Happens to me too. The first thing you think is, "Man, if their life were like mine, they would be okay." The second thought is, you know, maybe if they know my God and learn what my God says about them, they'll be okay. But first, we think if they could just have the middle class ethos, the the middle class setup, if they could be like me and be like my wife and and and, and work like I do, then then they'll be okay. It's putting a lower price tag on where and why or how a group of people should live. It's determining that they are not worth looking at or appreciating or listening to. Everyone else's ethnic expression, even if it is of the same truth, is primitive and faulty. You know, the amount of times I've heard people dog- Certain musical types. You know, I cannot stand when people say, we have high church. What's that mean? Does high church mean that some European guy had the right to write the music? That, that's a higher church? That it had to be written in this age by this group of people and all the creeds and all the confessions and everything have to come from this group of European people in order for it to be considered high church. But yet when you go to the good old church on the corner rocking and rolling for Jesus, somehow that's kind of lower worship. It's stereotyping. It's failing again to adopt what God has said about being individuals. And for ethnic damage control in our own minds, what do we do? We just decide to kill them all in our minds. You know, and just let God sort it out at the end. You know... Call or deem them basically all criminals or they're all control freaks or they're all lazy or they're all anorexic or they're all thieves or they're all ignorant until they prove otherwise. Then they are, you know, like us. I mean, sometimes you don't know how many times I've been in circles because I'm in the PCA, predominantly white denomination, that people look at me and they they say things that, that, that basically it's like, you know you you're not like the rest of them but what does a statement mean and i believe people look and they say man you're not like the rest of them you know what that statement means? That statement means you are so much. You you make it easy for me to, to 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 deal with you ethnically because somehow you're assimilated to me and that makes you better and easy to deal with. I love it. You're not like the rest of the people. You're not lazy. You're not ignorant. You're not a thief. You you know you 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 you, you know what you're talking about sometimes. I mean, wow, amazing! I can't believe a black man can be like this. I went to this event once and this guy walks up, like, hey, what's up, soul man? Show me how to do the handshake. He didn't even ask my name. And I said, my brother, we shake like this at our church. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Looking back is funny, but it hurt. It hurt. Here's the rub here. It has happened to each one of us, white or black. We have been made to doubt what God created, to run from who we are, to hate who we are, to hate what and who others are. Let's face it, we are ignorant and we're ignored. We hate and have been hated. We are fierce and we're afraid. We are master and slave. And the psalmist is writing in his running and fear. He's saying, give me, Lord, please, somewhere in this mess of, of ethnicity and hatred inside and outside, give me those thoughts again of who I am. Please give me relief because guess what? I can't see myself in my world and the people around me rightly. Give me the thoughts of me that supersede and counter my sinful ability to think rightly about myself in my words, in my world. He ends begging to be led in the way everlasting. And God answers him retrospectively here, saying, "Saying, I see you," which means he says he basically says, "I see you, David. I, I formed you. I'm looking at you. You can't you can't escape my presence." And what that means is two things: that you and I are accountable to God, and we're accounted for by God. Follow me through this kind of longer reading here, verses starting at verse one. It says, and we, we can't pull all this out, so we're just going to look. Take a quick glance at it. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Verse one, you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know me completely. You know it completely, oh, Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful... To you, now we read a lot there, but I want you to hear this: God sees you. He sees what drives you, He sees the stain in your heart, He sees the motives of the heart. He sees if you are a sellout, He sees whether you're hiding who you are. He knows if and why and how you hate others. What does this tell us that God sees and He knows the abuses? It does not escape him. He sees how we have been damaged and he sees how we seek to damage others. Now, what this leads us to is this imprecatory part of the song we talked about. And it tells us that God is a just God. Now again, David again speaking for God as a human, from a human perspective, he says God hates bloodthirsty men. He hates the nature of, of self and other hatred. God hates and will bring justice and prosecute the vandalism against the works of his hands. He will in this age or the next bring an end to ethnic cleansing and hatred. In our world, because in God's design, people and their created uniqueness not only have to account, but they count. Now what do we, what, what, what do I mean here? Each one of us are waving a flag. Some flag, some of you are raising a flag of victory and superiority, and some people are waving a flag of surrender. Either way, humanity cries with God's common grace, Will someone see me? Will someone know me? Will somebody recognize that I am here? Why am I important? I know I need to raise this flag because somehow there's something in me that tells me I need to exist. I don't know whether the flag is right. I don't know whether it's wrong. But human beings ask to be seen and known and declare that they are here. God says, I see you. That when you feel unworthy to be seen or noticed or understood, if you're neglected as a nothing, as less, God says, I see you as the psalm sees you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. That as the psalmist implies, you might have been hidden by the institutional racism of a dominant and oppressive people, but he sees you. You may even have made yourself superior by looking down on others. God actually lifts you and says, I see your dignity. You don't have to give yourself dignity by putting another one down. I see you in my eyes, say, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God says, be relieved. I see you with the wonder and praise that we see in this psalm. The psalm implies, for the glory of my creation, demeaned and distressed, God says, I will take the adversity away. I hate racism. I hate my beauty being damaged and blood will flow. Someone's going to pay for the way they treated you and treated us. But whose? Whose blood is going to pay for in hating ourselves and others? Guess what? We all here have become haters and enemies of God. And the psalm says, here, Lord, slay those, destroy those who are haters of me and you. So David is careful to follow this imprecatory part about killing everybody, hating these people, and I hate them too. And he says what? What? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That what we see here is right. That as God reveals what is true about the wonder of his creation, justice will happen. But in light of David's appeal, hear this now, but in light of David's appeal, We must recognize in gracious fear what the road to the way is. It only comes when God decides, as he has done for David and each one of us, as damaged and damaging originals, as God decides to love those who have hated him to love those who have been his enemies. That's what David recognized in his call for justice. He looks for redemption for his own heart, recognizing that the beginning of his being seen and thus redeemed by God to being restored in heart and mind concerning who he is, he would have to be loved by God as one who received the mercy of God for his own hatred and bloodthirstiness. One one person at the movie was frustrated at Crash. They're like, Nobody's good. Everybody's wrong. Give me a hero. Where's the right guy in the movie? And there wasn't any. And it was such a clear description of our our dealings with each other socially. None of us are good. None of us are right. We're bloodthirsty and we love to be who God's created us. We're racist and we, 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 we love race. I mean, honestly, who is going to make me happy when I'm nappy if I in some way hate that I've been made black? Who will like me and love me even though I hate myself and maybe hate you? Who will and can find me when I am mixed in and mixed up, when I have deluded who I am and how I am to be more palatable to those who I want to be liked by in order to be redeemed and redeem the world from the sin damage against created dignity and ethnicity? We must trust that God has sent his son To be hated so that we can know his love. To have God look away from his son in hatred. For our hatred sins that were upon him. So that he can glance at us with mercy and love. God was discriminated against on the cross. I said this before and I'll say it again. Jesus became the world's nigger, the world's spick, the world's chink, the world's cracker. So those deemed such ugly things could be known because of him as beautiful human beings. Jesus even had to become a Hitler to the self-righteous so that the world's Hitlers could be free to be loved and love. That God looked at the world and seeing the beauty of his glory, with a glance of his mercy sent Jesus to die, that the confusion and crash of diversity could become a collage of God's glory. The end of racism and the redemption of created human wonder is Jesus. This psalm urges us to come to him, have him search our hearts, to get relief from the feelings and failings of your identity. Ask him to search you and know you and lead you to him seeing and believing how he looks at you and find the mercy you and the world needs in his glance. Let us pray.